Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm your host, Sammy Womack, a nationally recognized money expert, budgeting coach, and your very own hype squad. I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. And just a reminder that everything discussed in today's episode will be linked in the show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at A Sunny Side Up Life. And if you're ready to take control of your money and need guided instructions, check out my free budgeting challenge by going to asunnysideuplife.com. Now let's get into the episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another great interview. Today, I'm joined by Alyssa Davies from Mixed Up Money. Alyssa is a content manager, award-winning blogger, and published author from Alberta, Canada. Her work has been featured in The Globe and Mail, on CNBC, CBC Gem, and more. Her two books, The 100-Day Financial Goal Journal and Financial First Aid, are both currently available for purchase. When she's not writing, you can catch her hanging out with her kids, playing soccer, or designing amazing digital art for her social media page. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. So let's not waste any more time and let's welcome her to the podcast. So welcome so much. Tell us about yourself. Hi, um, I'm my name's Alyssa. I'm the founder of Mixed Up Money and I have two books in the personal finance world. So one is about setting your first financial goal and how to actually tackle that goal. And the second one is about financial emergencies and financial anxiety and how to set yourself up for success when there are a lot of things that can go wrong with your money. You know, it happens. It's life. That's, yes. If, if it can go wrong, it most likely will at some point. That's just life. Yeah, that's what I always say. People are always like, uh, I don't want to spend my emergency fund. I'm like, no, that's the point of that fund. It's, yep. it's meant to be spent. You will definitely have an emergency. So don't feel guilty or ashamed for having to use it. That's the entire purpose yes. of that account. Yes. And also the other narrative I hear a lot is, well, life is picking on me because I had an emergency. No, life is just life. Like this is an, yeah. this is being an adult. This is, you know, living in the real world. Cars break. Houses need things. People get sick. It happens. Yeah. Better to be prepared than just try and get by when it happens. It's better to have a plan. So I personally, one of my goals is to write a book. So I'm always so intrigued when people write books and I'm like, hey, you're like a regular person. You're like also a busy mom. Like, (laughs) I love this. It's so inspiring to me. But I would love to hear a little bit more about like, How did you get started in the personal finance space? How did you become an author? Like, tell us a little bit more about that journey. So I actually like writing is my background. So I had gone to school for journalism and that (laughs) is what I do for my full time work. But when I first started my personal finance journey, it was back in 2015. So I've been doing this for like eight years now. And at that time I was doing very awful with my finances. I had a ton of consumer debt. I had student loans. I had no plans for my future. I wasn't investing. And I started working for a not-for-profit that was helping people get out of debt. So it was a debt consolidation organization. And I was doing all of my training and I was learning about marketing and quickly realized like I am the client that I'm marketing to. So 
I should probably do something about this or I'm going to end up needing the services we provide because I'm in such a bad position financially. And so I went home and I Googled like, what do I do? How do I get out of debt? Which I'm sure is what a lot of people do when they're first like, holy crap, this isn't looking good. Um, And I found a ton of financial blogs. And for the first time, people were writing things and explaining them to me in a way that I actually understood. And it didn't feel as scary as I always thought it would be. So I started my own blog and I just kind of wrote my experience and my journey of paying off my debt. And I fell in love with the community and I found a niche that I really enjoyed writing in. Basically the same as my story. I'm like, oh, we're in a mess. Um, Let me Google. Um, let me just share this. Oh, um, I can actually help people. It's just like the evolution of that whole journey, I feel like is so relatable to a lot of us who are now teaching in this space. And I love that. I think that's also what kind of makes us maybe more approachable in that way is you're like, hey, I used to be where you are now. And I totally get it. And I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like it's nice that everyone has a story. So if you can't relate to one person, you'll be able to find the person that you can relate to. I think that's why the personal finance community is so great. Yes, exactly. It's always it's a lot of collaboration over competition. And I love it because we're all like, I don't know, just learn. If you can't learn from me, learn from her, learn from him, like learn from somebody, like learn from all of us collectively and put it together. And I don't just whatever you need to do, whoever you need to learn from. So I was, you know, preparing for the interview. I saw something that was really intriguing. So you were talking about being a trauma mm-hmm. of money practitioner. And I would love to hear more about that because we've actually kind of been talking about that on the podcast and on my social media, like kind of getting more into like, this is really trauma. So yeah. tell us so more about that. I actually that. took a course. It's run by someone I've known for a very long time. Her name is Chantel uh, and Chantel Chapman. And she runs the course called Trauma of Money. And it's basically a really deep dive look into generational trauma, how our upbringing impacts our finances, what sorts of trauma you yourself might have, how to approach conversations about money from a trauma focus because a lot of people just assume that trauma and money are completely separate issues but they very much connect yes and so it was a really extremely cool experience we got to have like weekly sessions where we learned a different topic we learned about money disorders we learned about the psychology behind finances and We got a chance to hear it from different people from different parts of the world with different perspectives, with different upbringings and how their money trauma has impacted their adulthood. And so I'm certified in that approach when it comes to talking to people about money. And yeah, I highly recommend it for anyone because you can take the certification or you can just take it for personal needs. Like if you are knowing that you experienced trauma, if you grew up in poverty, if you had a really unusual upbringing, this might be the place where you can finally tap into what that looks like and be able to put a label on it. Because sometimes it's just nice to know what type of trauma it is so that you're aware that it exists. I'm going to link more to that in the show notes because I like I want to dig more into that. And I'm sure some some people listening do, too, because we kind of like I said, we've been talking more about it. 
And it's just something that I've been kind of digging more into and like the psychology behind it. And kind of also, I think for me trying to differentiate between I, I, I balance on the line of like toxic positivity because like positivity is like my whole thing. But I'm like, OK, there is such thing as like toxic positivity. So it's not just like, OK, let's just think happy thoughts. It's like, no, there's layers upon layers underneath of this. You can't just think happy thoughts and get yourself out of some of this stuff. So kind of like digging more into all of the psychology behind it and all the it's just it's yeah. it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, I would love to know, like, what are some of the can you give us some like really common examples and tell us a little bit more about the specifics of what we see in some of sure. this like, so, many traumas? I think it completely depends. I mean, there's obviously the generational trauma. So that could be if you're a newcomer to, say, Canada or the United States and your family doesn't mm-hmm. have an ability to kind of build the wealth that other people do. Um, You might grow up in poverty, so you might have this scarcity mindset. You might hoard money because you are very scared that once you have some, you'll never have it again. Or you may impulsively spend that money right away because you have always experienced a life in which you had money and someone took it away from you. And so the generational trauma is a, a really common one. There's other forms of money trauma, too, that are maybe less common that you would wouldn't think are related to money but things like workaholism like the need to constantly be productive the need to put your value as how hard you work and what you do to build success so it can come in many forms i mean basically every single way that we spend money and our financial habits are emotionally driven so whether we're looking to heal our trauma move through a bad day just survive it all has a lot to do with how we feel I think it's also about sometimes, like you said, putting a label on it just helps us be like, oh, maybe that's not ideal to be a workaholic because I think being a workaholic has been praised so much. And we're like, oh, maybe that isn't super healthy. Let me dig into that a little bit more. Let me maybe talk about that in therapy and let's let's work through that. And I I love that. Just like bringing the awareness, I think, is so, so important so people can kind of take their own personal journey and and dig deeper into maybe some of those talking points that maybe perked their ears up a little bit like, oh, that one sounds familiar. Okay, let's talk about that in therapy next time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're putting it in your notes. I feel like that is exactly what you said. Like noticing and acknowledging those feelings is one of the most important things you can do because we, we tend to ignore the reality that we're spending based on how we feel. Yes. Yes. And I think kind of on that same trend of topics how workaholic is like kind of praise it's like oh she's just a really hard worker in uh, it kind of ties into my next question is talking about internalized capitalism and I loved how in one of your recent posts you described yourself as all about financial wellness and eliminating internal internalized capitalism I'm like okay let's talk about this (laughs) because like I I that whole internalized capitalism you're like wait, what does this mean? So tell us, tell us more about this, what this might look like, how do we navigate all of this? Yeah. So internalized capitalism is just basically someone tying their self-worth based on how productive they are. So, or you determine your self-worth based on how much traditional success you have. 
So you think like your income or having a fancy car or having a really cool job title that determines your value. We basically moralize productivity and it shouldn't be that way. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is like me recovering from all of this. This is I mean, this is essentially what I've been working on myself, my personal development journey, what I've been working on in therapy. It's like this is all of it. It's like if you take a nap, you're lazy. Uh, that mm-hmm. was, you know, that was an hour that you could have been working. You could have been having a side hustle and you were just sleeping. Are you kidding me? Like, what is wrong with you? You're the laziest person. And like my brain tells me this and it's that internalized capitalism. You're only as valuable as what your bank account says. Or you can brag about, man, I only got four hours of sleep or I haven't eaten all day. I've been on my feet all day. Uh, what? You're bra- like, yeah. Mm, that it that's a lot it's it is it's like I grew up in a household where it was like we very much were taught that hard work determines like what you get and in life yeah and while I do believe like yes working hard is great and you can get a lot done that doesn't dictate like who's a good person and who's not and it doesn't always dictate like how successful you are either because a lot of it is privilege a lot of it is luck a lot of it is your network So it's not really about how hard you work. And we often forget that like rest is the best way to be productive. If you don't give yourself an opportunity to just chill out, you're never going to be able to achieve all of the things that you want to. Yes. And I I feel like it's like no matter what we do, it's it's never going to be enough. I also I saw a just randomly on the the for you page, um, a reel that was like, Motherhood has this weird way of making you feel like you're doing everything and nothing all at once. And I was like, oh, (laughs) man. And it was like a video of like a mom. I think she was like sitting in the driveway, like drawing chalk with her kid or something. And I was like, how you feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting nothing productive done. But then also, I feel like I just got ran over by a truck and I feel so overwhelmed. I'm doing everything and nothing all at once. I was like, oh, man. And that also, I think there there is a lot of that internalized capitalism put into us. God forbid you sit still and play with your king. <laughs> you are being yeah, so and as if that's not enough, like that yeah. is enough. You're you're doing more than enough. Just having moments with your children that they're going to remember. Like we forget yeah. how impactful that is, and we don't yeah. give ourselves the credit that we deserve for. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's just a day of just going through the motions. Like that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you had a couple of reels that were pretty similar. Um, I really liked the really recent one that was about how people asking you, like, how do you juggle being a mom and a business owner and an author and all these things? And then like, how do you still have time for your hobbies? I was like, okay, we are on the same same wavelength here because it's like one of my least favorite questions. They're like, oh my gosh, how do you do it all? I would love to let me let's hear your response to this. I just want to hear your response. Well, so I have never had a good response. And yeah. then like two nights ago, so you're asking this at a great question yeah. or at a great time. Yeah, I am training for a half marathon right now. Just adding one more thing to my just list because casually, I just like, yeah, I'm a workaholic and I have internalized capitalism and nope. I'm a work in progress, but I still struggle very deeply with those things. And so I was out for a run and I, I was out for a 10 kilometer run. Um, and it was a, an hour and 15 minutes where I'm just alone with my thoughts, which I never do. Because That's if I have scary. any time to be alone, I will 
disassociate. So I'll just scroll on my phone or I'll do work. Yep. And so I suddenly had all of this time to think about like my life and who I am. It was like this. this I'm, like, I'm getting a runner's high. I'm like, yeah. what is happening? This is like an out of body experience. <laughs> and I came home and I said that to my husband right away. I was like, keep thinking about like how who I want to be in the future and like how I love doing all these things and I was running and I'm like oh right like like I'm sore my feet are hurting and I'm like why am I doing this and I'm like oh right like I wanted to do this like I wanted to run Mm -hmm. this half marathon because I wanted to do it before the age of 35 I told myself that this was important to me it's a part of who I want to be as a person that like tries new things continually throughout life and that was when it clued in like I do all of these things because I want to, not because I have to. Mm. And it was like this mindset shift for me because I didn't have an answer to that question. And it's not like, how do you do it all? It's like, well, I want to do it all. So I make time to do it all. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. Like, yes, I have a support system. Yes, I have privilege. And yes, like I have really good time management skills. Right. But those aren't the main reason why I'm doing any of the things I'm doing. It's because I want to do them. And that feels really revolutionary and it's kind of sad that it's that revolutionary because it's very simple and revolutionary all at the same time because I just I think a lot of us didn't especially millennials like I I feel like we didn't grow up with parents maybe exemplifying that I don't know if your example is different but I I very much grew up in like well when things slow down then I'll do that or yeah. like, well, I just, I don't know. I don't have time to do that. And I still, I hear a lot of people all around me saying, we personally, we own a boat. Um, last summer, we owned a camper. We sold our camper, but camping, boating, you know, having all of this like nature time is like a very big part of our family values. And people are like, well, it must be nice to be able to like <laughs> go to the lake. Oh, it must be nice to be able to like go camping for five days. Yeah, it is nice. I mean, what do you want me to say? They're like, how do you guys just, I have like, we make time to go. We want to go. It's a priority for us. Yeah. It's a priority. Put it, put it on the calendar if it's important to you. Like do it. I just, I just don't, like you said, like, who do I want to be? I just don't want to be that person that's at the end of my life with this big bucket list of unchecked things. And just that person that's like, oh, my gosh, I would love to go to Italy and then never go. Like, take steps to go. Save your money. Make plans. Go. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It, just, it just makes me frustrated. Like, I want to do it. That's why I do it. I, I, why is yeah. that complicated? <laughs> I know. And I, yeah, it's the choice thing. We make a lot of choices. We make so many choices every single day. And a lot of us just make the easy choice, which is doing what you have to do. Yeah. Not doing what you want to do. Yes, exactly. And I'm not saying like everyone should be able to just pack right up and go to Italy, like max out your credit card, just do it. No. <laughs> okay. But if that is at the root of your value system, like for us, that was owning a boat. Okay. We didn't just magically make $11,000 appear to buy a boat. That didn't just happen magically overnight. It was like, okay, it was several years in the making. It was one of our biggest goals one of our biggest motivators for when we started to pay our debt off and then Mm -hmm. it was several years in the future it's like okay we're going to pay off xyz goals we need to build an emergency fund okay then like we need a second vehicle okay then we're going to pay off more debt okay and then 
we can buy the boat. Like it wasn't, it didn't just happen overnight, but we kind of sat back, checked our values. We're like, what is important to us as a family? Spending quality time together and spending time outdoors and nature. How can we do that? Okay, that's more lake time. That's what it means. Yeah, I think with a lot of financial goals, like no one sees that progress and you don't get to share that progress. You get to share the finish line. And that's what's so frustrating about money is most of the things just require discipline. Yeah. Good habits and patience. Like that's it. And it's like people want this magic solution or magic equation to become rich really quickly or to accomplish all of their goals. It doesn't work that way. And so it can be really frustrating because you hear the same old financial advice over and over and over again. But that's really how it goes for most of us. None of us just flip a switch and become really well off financially. It took years and I'm still working on it. Which kind of leads me to my my next question was about your fire journey and wanting to reach Coast Fire by the age of 35, which that's a really ambitious goal. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that because that's kind of going to be the same thing. And our goal is to retire early. My husband's goal of retiring early is 50, which seems not quite as scary as 35. Um, but I'm just afraid that we're going to get to that point. People are going to see this 50-year-old young man still and be like, you must have got lucky. Like, what happened? You know, they're going to see the end <laughs> result. They're not going to see the 20 years of progress. So tell us more about about your own fire journey. Well, this is the interesting part about Coast Fire is it's not really Coast Fire. It's more Coast Fine, we call it, which is posting financial independence, but not early. Right. So it's not retiring before 65. It's front loading your retirement accounts as young as possible so that you don't have to worry about saving for retirement anymore. So what it really means is that if I save enough or invest enough by 35, that I don't have to invest any more money. Love that. I could reallocate those funds to other things, still work because I do love working. Mm -hmm. I'm moving towards the the option to pursue financial independence if I want to. It's the first kind, it's one of the first kind of steps to getting there. And it's just more so giving me the freedom for when my kids get older, because right now I'm focused so heavily on my retirement funds because that is the best gift I can give my kids is a fully funded retirement so that I am able to afford their college education, their extracurriculars, traveling with them without having to worry about my future because I've already taken the steps I needed to take to secure that. You love that. That's incredible. And I do love how you said like that's one of the best gifts that you can give them. And I love that flipping that narrative. And because we are kind of approaching that age with our own mothers, where our our own moms are in their 60s, 50s, and we're kind of like, what is this going to look like? These next however many years, things are going to start to get rocky at some point. And whose shoulders is that going to fall on? The most financially successful of the siblings. So here we right. are. <laughs> it's like, and I keep, you know, I joke it with my sister. I'm like, I'm going to need you to like pick it up. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to need you to like help me pick up the slack over here. And she's like, I got you. Like I'm, you know, she's younger. So they're like, they're, they're catching up. And 
she's like, I got you. You're not gonna have to do this all alone. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, thank you. Because it's kind of scary not knowing, you know, what your parents' retirement is gonna really look like. Right. Well, and like, I know it's not easy to have that conversation with your parents, but that is a conversation that I've had with my parents many, many times, just purely out of curiosity. Um, And just to open the door, it was never like, what are you doing? Are you doing everything right? Like, is this going to be my job, like an attack? Because no parent wants that from their younger child. But asking questions to get their insight for my own retirement, hearing what they're doing with theirs, a less aggressive way to approach that conversation, but a conversation that everyone should really have and that I want to be able to have with my kids in a way that it's like, you're all good. You do what you want to do with your life. I've taken care of myself. Yes. And also kind of as my kids are getting older, it's really become an interesting conversation. My oldest is 12. And for her 12th birthday, we were like, okay, you're going to like get a debit card. You're going to get a phone. You're going to like, you're going to do a budget now and like all these things. And so we're kind of going through all of that with her and trying to explain to a 12 year old, what is investing? What is the stock market? This is how you become a millionaire. Cause that's her real question. Mm-hmm. How do I become a millionaire? Um, and <laughs> every twelve-year-old, so, yes, yes, <laughs> concerned. Like, okay, when can I buy a car? When when are you going to be a millionaire? And when am I going to be a millionaire? <laughs> and so I kind of showed her the calculations, and I was like, okay, this is how long until Daddy and I are millionaires, and then this is how much longer between then and when he is going to retire. Our retirement goal for him is one and a half million. And she's like, okay, so I'll be, and she's like counting the years. And she was like, I'm going to be moved out. Because I think it's like (laughs) nine or 10 years until we like should hit millionaire status at the rate we're investing right now. And she's like, what the heck? She's like, that's not fair. And I was like, baby, there's, it's not going to be like, we're going to magically hit a million dollar investment portfolio. And all of everything in our house is going to like turn to gold. I was like, we're basically going to be living the same life, babe. You're not going to be like missing anything. (laughs) It's fine. We're not going to suddenly get a fancier house or, but she just has this vision in her head. So kind of talking to her about regular people can be millionaires. Like it's going to be, it's not going to be that different really. Yeah. Um, And then something interesting she really, she said to me was, well, when I like get a real job and I'm like a teenager, are you going to teach me how to become a millionaire? Because I don't know how to do all this. <laughs> I was like, yes, maybe that's literally my job. Like I will, I will explain it to you. She's like, are you going to teach me how to be a millionaire? Because I kind of want to do this too. Yeah, no kidding. My daughter just turned five. So we just started an allowance. Yeah. For her birthday, And we're just, she's very interested in it as well. And I think that's all I've ever really wanted is just to have open conversations and for her to feel comfortable and know that it is something we talk about and and that there's a lot of opportunity for her. I, I love it. And I love just kind of the conversations and the normal conversations for them is they'll ask, especially my middle one, she is like my go out to eat queen. And she's constantly like, do we have any money left in our restaurant budget, mama? Is the restaurant budget empty? <laughs> is it fixing to be a new budget? So because she's always like, as soon as there's a new budget, I mean, I'm right there. I'm like, all right, we're eating out tonight, new budget. And so she knows that. 
And a couple of days ago, I told her, no, I was like, no, we had lunch out yesterday. Like, we're not getting lunch out again today. And she goes, why, mama? Are we fixing to be poor? Oh, no. <laughs> but we've already spent our restaurant budget. But just, I don't know. It's hilarious to kind of navigate all of this with little kids and try to explain it to them and not... Hopefully they won't grow up with all the money trauma. It's like, okay, don't screw up. How can I do this right? And it's it's interesting, a little stressful, but interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think like most people who do end up having money trauma, a lot of it is because you, you just don't talk about money at all. Yeah. And you don't think that it's a safe conversation or you don't feel safe talking about it. Yeah. So we definitely talk about it, even if they don't like my answer of why we can't get lunch <laughs> again today. But yeah. Yeah. So I would love to kind of talk about a little bit more about the money narratives that coincide with mental health. And I know that that's a lot of your financial expertise is focusing on all of that financial anxiety. And we kind of talked about the traumas, but let's talk a little bit more about like the mental health and all of that aspect of it. Sure. So the reason I talk about mental health all of the time is because I have high functioning anxiety and I've had depression in the past. And I just recently learned that I have bouts of perfectionism, which people laugh at me when I say I just learned that because they're like, I could have told you that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But for me, most of these things, like I never really knew they existed and I didn't want to admit that it was me that was dealing with them because it was never something that I talked about growing up or that I learned about growing up. And so when I was repaying my debt and I was trying everything in my power to get out of consumer debt, I restricted myself very heavily. Like Mm -hmm. I just completely stopped spending money on anything that wasn't essential. I basically stopped spending money on anything that brought me joy. And while at the time it seemed like such a great idea and it helped me pay off my debt in less than a year, it kind of created this false sense of scarcity for me. Yes. And so when I was finally out of debt, it took years for me to learn how to spend money guilt-free, to feel comfortable, to feel like I had enough. And a lot of that comes from financial anxiety and just that worry about money and going to sleep every night thinking like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make ends meet? I need to check my bank account several times a day. Like just having Mm. those overwhelming worries and fears about your money. I completely relate to all of that. I also, I've always been very open about my own mental health journey and my depression is ongoing and my anxiety is also very high functioning and perfectionism and all the things and I very much see it show up in my money I and I tell people I'm like hey this is not a secret like we're not going to be like ashamed of all of this because honestly it's super normal to have all of these mental health struggles and this is the human experience this Mm -hmm. is just you know And so we talk about it. We bring it out into the open and we talk about how can we overcome some of these financial anxieties. And I love that you're also talking about this as well. I think it's a super, super important topic. Yeah, I think like those money narratives that you mentioned, like that's usually what it is. Like, I'll never have enough. I I can't stop thinking about money. Like I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. Just basically anything that you have convinced yourself is going to happen. 
And then kind of flipping that into what can you actually control? Because a lot of us want to control way more of our money than we'll ever be able to control. Yes, definitely. So learning how to kind of relinquish some of that control and learning how to remove the guilt and shame and actually understanding the differences between guilt and shame too. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are relating to that financial anxiety, like all those kind of things. Can you give us maybe some examples of how do we work through some of this stuff? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, I think the key is to more so get a handle on the anxiety part of that, whether that's speaking with a mental health professional or just learning how to identify the feelings of anxiety and and what that looks like in your life. Because if you can't kind of cope with that and you don't have the skills or the tools or the toys that you need to kind of move through your anxiety, it'll be really hard to talk about money and to think about money and to say like, oh, I need to make big changes with my finances. So I always feel like your mental health should come before your money. It's way yeah. more important. You can always find a way to change your finances, but you can't always fix your mental health as quickly as you can with money. Mm. And the second thing I would do is I would kind of approach my finances from a new perspective, like a new lens altogether of like, what have I been doing and what should I been doing? Should I be doing? Because a lot of us have just been doing whatever we feel like has been working and we are afraid to change things. We're afraid to challenge things. And we tend to just ignore the fact that it's always been controlling us instead of us controlling our money. So I like to help people work through, you know, removing the guilt and the shame for the spending. So how do you do that? What are the tools and tricks you can do to remove that? And one of the best ways I feel like you can do that is just by actually giving yourself uh, time to Mm -hmm. determine like why you want to buy something, whether or not you need that purchase, how much it costs, like tracking it, giving yourself a timeline to review those purchases that you want and kind of, yeah, putting them into your life. Like when is this an appropriate purchase? Like how long do I need till I can actually afford this item? And what is it going to mean when I do own this item? And one area that people don't love to look at, but is so extremely important is their budget. So actually budgeting, like a lot of people are like, I don't like budgeting or I don't need a budget. And although I I can empathize and I understand why some people hate budgets, we are all on a budget. We all only have a certain amount of money coming in and can spend a certain amount of money. So it doesn't have to be a budget per se, but it's like, right. do you know what your income is? Do you know what your expenses are? And are you willing to change those things to make sure that you're spending based on your values? Like you said, like, are you spending so that you can achieve all of the things that you want in life? So I think it's just more so about shifting your mindset around money when you're ready. Yes. And being unafraid to actually have those conversations, too. And I I often say people always want to ask, you know, what are some of your favorite resources for like learning more about money and like books and things like that? And I'm always just like, Honestly, the best thing that you can do, the first thing that you can do is work on your mental health, work on your personal development. And so some of my favorite books that have taught me how to grow with my money are actually just personal development books. They're also they're really Mm -hmm. just books about mindset, about habits, about, you know, discipline, about all the patience, gratitude, like all of those kind of things. That's some of the best stuff that you honestly can do. And it's all I think it's also tied together 
we act like it's a separate thing, but money is just so ingrained in every single thing that we do that you almost can't do one without the other. It is such a foundation because it's like, okay, well, I want to go to therapy to work on my depression. Okay, well, that's probably going to cost money or you got to take off work or you got to find a babysitter or can you, you know, do you have a vehicle to get there? What all like there's so much. It's not just as simple as like, okay, I'm just going to go to therapy. That going to therapy also is there's some financial privilege to being able to do that. And I could probably sit here and give you a hundred other examples of things that are very <laughs> similar. Like, okay, I need, I need to go on a vacation. Like I need a break. Like just even taking a break, not even like the fun aspect of a vacation. You need to take some days off. Okay, well, there's financial privilege to that. Can you afford to take off? Do you, can you afford to do this, that? Can you afford like the gas money to drive somewhere or a plane ticket or, and there's just so many things. And so it's all tied together. <laughs> yeah, it is. And all, I think one of the things that I like to really remind people of, though, too, is a lot of the times we blame ourselves and society blames us for having these sorts of mental health issues or they blame us for being financially insecure or whatever it may be. It's always on us to fix our own problem. Right. And that's a really heavy burden for people to bear because the system is not built for most people to succeed, for the working class to succeed. Right. And so I always say like, you don't really have anxiety. Like you as a person, it's like a part of you Mm. has anxiety. It's not a bad part of you. It's kind of like just noticing that part of yourself and finding a way to work with that part of yourself to fix it. And I think that's more therapeutic than saying like, it's all on you. You're the only person that can fix this. When that's not the reality and shouldn't be the reality. Like if we had more support and we had more community, we wouldn't feel as overwhelming to kind of approach these things. So if you're looking for resources, like honestly, some of the best resources outside of books, too, is just finding a community of people who can relate and who are going to support you through your journey. Yes. Yes. hundred percent agree. It's just also like having being able to just have friends who are also who get it who can like share the wins and even the losses sometimes with you. And for me, that has been turning online friends into real life friends and, you know, texting people and FaceTiming people. And because sometimes that's not, you know, your neighbors or your coworkers. Sometimes that's purposely seeking out these other relationships and purposely seeking out, you know, a therapist or, you know, someone who is a financial coach or somebody who is maybe a little more skilled in some of these things. And kind of, I think, building that community. I feel like a lot of times we we like instinctively wait for that community to come to us. And yeah. it's like, no, I I was seeking out all these people. I intentionally turned online friendships into real friendships. I intentionally googled a therapist i you know all these these different things they didn't just come to me i had to take take some of those steps so i always try to remind people of that of didn't just fall in my lap you gotta go seek some of these people out Mm -hmm. i agree so what are some things that you wish that you saw a little bit more in the personal finance industry oh in the industry altogether honestly just a lot more empathy yeah 
I find it's really difficult to walk into a financial institution and feel comfortable um, because the people in those institutions typically don't actually know what you're going through or they don't know how to have a trauma approach, like a trauma focused Mm -hmm. approach to those conversations. And they don't really consider the emotional side of money. I think a lot of times it's just what would be helpful in personal finance altogether is just more honesty, more vulnerability more of a desire to share the failures instead of just the wins Mm. like I love how open people are online and how many more communities and spaces there are for people to talk about money but sometimes it can feel like it's just constantly being pushed in your face that I'm doing so amazing you can do amazing too yeah and that storyline is just but one storyline I feel like the honest and more vulnerable and relatable approach is a lot easier for people to digest and it shouldn't just be about like being again I feel like that is when we run into those issues of tying our value to the amount of money we make in this mm-hmm. traditional success that we have and I feel like there's a lot of danger there instead of just giving people access to the the tools they need and a safe place to talk about money I love that I couldn't have said that better myself thank you oh, for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yes I love it I love it Yeah. So um, as we wrap up, I like to ask all of my guests the same question to encourage others to kind of break free from the hustle culture. What is something that you love to do that doesn't necessarily bring you a profit? Oh, I love this question. Yeah, because that's what I'm all about. I'm like a huge hobby advocate. I I play soccer. So I play soccer Mm. twice a week. I started running to train for a half marathon. So I do that a couple times a week. I work out a couple times a week and I read. And those are four things right there that I will never be paid to do. Although I wish I was a professional soccer player. It just won't happen for me. (laughs) I love that. And and I think that that internalized capitalism, it goes with that. So that's why I really wanted to make sure that we talked about that. But I still catch myself. I love art and I love um, watching YouTube videos on art. And I catch myself. It's kind of one of my like downtime hobbies. And so just over the weekend, I caught myself being like, I could totally just like I could make an art YouTube channel. (laughs) And like these people are doing this as their full time job. I could do that. And I'm like, Sammy, it does not have to bring you income. Stop. But I just my brain just goes there instantly. I'm like, okay, it can be just a hobby. It's okay. I know we've been taught that like every passion that we have or everything we're good at, we can monetize. And that's just, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy at all. And that is that grind, hustle, boss, babe culture. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. No, and it's so hard. I have to consciously stop myself every single time. So that's why I love to ask this question and like encourage everyone like, hey, we're, we're all out here doing the work. And sometimes having a hobby is doing the work, which that's kind of fun. You're like, hey, I'm chilling and doing the work at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, it. that's like, that's what life is about. It's not about what job you do or what your position is at work. Like, that's not who you are. And yeah. a lot of us forget to ask that, like, who am I outside of my job? Yes. And is it just not, just probably not just mom. Like, you probably have a lot more that you can yep. offer and a lot more to who you are. So I love yes. that question. Yes. Also, who am I outside of being a mom? That's yeah, a big question like that in me. itself. 
Yeah, that took me like years to unpack in therapy. Well, thank you so much for everything that you have shared with us. Can you tell us a little bit more um, about where people can keep up with you and some resources that you offer? For sure. So you can find me on any social media platform at Mixed Up Money. Um, I also have a blog. I don't really write there anymore, but it's mixedupmoney.com. So if you want to check out any old content. And I have a course on financial anxiety called Bills and Chills, where you can work through some of your money trauma and start to understand where that stems from and how to move forward. Yes. Okay. Well, I will make sure to link to everything that you offer in the show notes. And thank you again so much for sharing with us and spending this time. Thanks so much for having me. That was fun. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Five-star reviews are what help the podcast grow. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to everything that we talked about in today's episode. And if you want access to all of my free resources or you want to learn how to work one-on-one with me, head over to asunnysideuplife.com to get started. And if you want to keep up with me in the day-to-day, don't forget to follow me on social media at Life. Well, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.